The View from the Lane is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bet with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Jack Pitbrook. I'm joined again today by Charlie Eccleshow and James Moore. This time last week, we were saying that Tottenham had momentum and confidence after beating Aston Villa. Charlie, what's all gone wrong? <laughs> yeah, I think, to be fair, we did slightly caveat that. Results had been good, performances hadn't always been. And I suppose the calibre of opposition improving and perhaps... Um, some of those similar level performances getting the results that they might have done during that run have resulted in two two defeats and it's going to be a big arsenal to stay in the Champions League and now four points off fourth so yeah a, a difficult week uh, I, I mean I think the to answer your question the improvement in opposition has been a big factor for why um, I, I mean, those two games I'd also say Son's injury has been a pretty big factor as well True. which isn't to say that Spurs necessarily would have won those, those two games with him but it, yes, it we didn't know like about. Could have been slightly different. Yeah, we though. didn't know yeah, about yeah, Son's injury, did we? When we yeah. recorded, so uh, we weren't being so told. Don't, to don't blame us. Yeah. So let's start with the Chelsea game before we go backwards in time and look at Leipzig. Um, Chelsea have lost seven home games this year, uh, including against Southampton, Bournemouth, and West Ham United. Did Tottenham need to be as defensive as they were? Well, in retrospect, you might say no. The strange thing was they they played with this system three or five at the back but it looked as though they were doing it as much to match up with what Chelsea were doing as because they necessarily thought it was the best thing for them to do when, when you are without your attacking players I guess you can broadly go one of two ways either you try and compensate by playing more attacking because you're with like less natural forwards or you double down on the fact that defence could be your strength. The problem is Spurs haven't really defended very well under Mourinho. And actually, as we spoke about last week, they've had a lot of high-scoring games, like four, three, two wins. It looked, you know, as the game had out, they were far too deep. There's this big gap between midfield uh, and defence. So I think you'd probably say, no, they didn't need to be quite as defensive. And if you are going to play a system with wing-backs, I don't think Ben Davis and Tanganga are the right guys to do that with. They've, I mean, they've got Serge Aurier. Granted, he, he needed a rest. He's played a lot of football. And but then and then Sessignon was injured in the warm-up, but he was only named on the bench. And you'd think him as the left wing-back and Davis, if you want to play him as the left centre-back, might have been a better option if you want to play that yeah, system. That's what I was about to say, really, that the personnel, I think, was the problem as much as the system. But as Charlie says, I mean, it didn't look like Mourinho had more attacking wing-backs in mind. That does make you think, actually, maybe it would have just have been better to have almost played four centre-backs across across the defence, which is, I think, what they did against Liverpool, possibly. Yes. yes. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. effectively. Yeah. And you do wonder whether that may actually... Have, I, I can see why they wanted to go over three against Chelsea's three, but I, I kind of wonder whether just going with four centre-backs and just kind of stick, sticking to a slightly more 
uh, the, the kind of formation they've been playing yeah, more, more familiar in the last couple mm. of months. Yeah, exactly. It, it um, would maybe would have put, served them in slightly better stead. I mean, I've just been looking at the numbers of passes, and I appreciate this isn't much of an indication necessarily of the way the game went. But actually, it's quite a lot closer than I expected it to have been. So Spurs had more passes in the defensive third, which you probably would expect. In the midfield third, which maybe you wouldn't. Uh, and they were only kind of 13 behind in the attacking third. Now, clearly, the main thing is the quality of chances created and, more importantly than that, obviously, goals. Where Spurs were way behind. But I don't think it was... It, I don't think it was quite as passive and negative as it probably felt. Yeah, I, th- I thought they started, sorry, Jack, reasonably well, actually. For about five minutes. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, just before um, Chelsea scored, Spurs had that decent effort with Lucas yeah. uh, and seemed to be playing some all right stuff. The problem was then once they conceded, it did... Um, they were not back a bit. Yeah, you could definitely see their confidence kind of went a bit. And I do think confidence has been something that's clearly been quite brittle this season yeah. in, in its entirety, not just in the last couple of months. I mean, Mourinho kept saying after the game as I was like, as soon as we concede the first goal, we're in loads of trouble. Yeah, I mean, and that, you know, and ha- having tweeted a couple of times and got into a couple of quite heated discussions about Mourinho and, and what people were criticising him for, that is one of the things that I think you should be criticising him for rather than, you know, what he did at Real Madrid 12 years ago. Mm. But, um, to, to, to play down a team in that way constantly is kind of, it's pretty it's pretty damaging, isn't it? And, you know, he, he said three or four times now in the last couple of weeks that he wished it was the 1st of yeah, July and that he could start next really season. It's like, you know, f- they're, they're four points off the top four now, but that is only kind of two two good weeks, right? Yeah, um, and they're still in the FA Cup, and for the time being, they're still in the Champions League. And it's not like you know they shouldn't be looking at it like the season was over. And fifth, maybe a Champions yeah, League exa- spot. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not you know it's not like they're a mile away from from any of those three things. And if it, you are one of those players, it's a bit like cheers. Yeah. I mean, so that, that that's the defeatist attitude that concerns me more rather than the kind of tactical side of things. Why do you think it's obviously M- Mourinho is someone who puts thought into everything he says? Why do you think it suits him? to say that he wishes the season was over and that his players are incapable of doing anything in the game they go 1-0 down in and to say that he like he has no option but to play this way I want, I what's the, what's like the, poli- what's the political calculation recruitment possibly I don't know I mean I, I find it hard to imagine he's entirely satisfied with what happened in January yeah and I mean I guess it's slight expectation management isn't it I mean he said in one of his TV interviews uh, I forget the exact wording, but it was to the effect of there's nothing anyone could do in the position we're in. And and I think a lot of the stuff he's saying, that is the kind of underlying message that, you know, we're trying our best, but we're at such a major disadvantage that this is about as good as it could be. Yeah, I, I, do, I mean, do have a kind of degree of sympathy because he came into the club in November and it, it was a real mess and he found the way of playing, lost Ben Davis, and I think he was kind of covering himself a little bit there. I think we kind of talked about that last week. Lost Ben Davis, found this way of playing. Harry Kane is obviously integral to that. Harry Kane gets injured. Then they had to tweak it and find the way of, you know, replacing Kane in the team. And for a long time, they went with Lucas and they swapped it to Son. And that seemed to work well against Villa. Then Son gets injured. And suddenly you're looking for another solution again. Uh, I can kind of see why that's frustrating. But I just don't see that being quite so dismissive and, and defeatist at this stage is really necessary I, I can't remember why I was looking at the match report from the, the Fulham game last January when Wink scored in the last minute yeah uh, which was obviously when Son and Kane were injured and Deli Ali went off injured as well so it was, a, it was a similar sort of vibe a lot of the attacking players were missing and the quote from Pochettino after the game was 
sometimes you've just got to believe, which is a very Pochettino turn of phrase. It's very Pochettino. You, and Mourinho would never say that, no. or he would never say it sincerely. Hmm. Uh, and it's, it's made me think, actually, you know, that, that's maybe the difference. And in this kind of situation, you almost want someone who can kind of G players up in that way rather than kind of be quite so sort of aggressive. Well, it's like the um, after the Leipzig game, he made the comparison and unwittingly made me think of something something else. He said, you know, imagine if Liverpool lost, uh, you know, like Salah and Firmino, something to that effect. And then my mum went back to Barcelona's second leg game where yeah. they were without both of those yeah. players and they were 3-0 down from the first leg and they won 4-0 with Origi up front. Yeah. Shakiri, I think, came into the front three and Klopp famously said to the players, like, anyone else, I'd say this is done, but with you, with you guys, I think it's possible. And look, that's the cut. You know, we, that may seem a bit. I mean, the thing cliched. about that is they do at least have Origi. They do at least sure, have another forward. Sure, they have Origi, but you're losing two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Massive players, and the ask is you have to beat Barcelona four 0 Like that is a huge test. And I'm not saying you know Spurs should be beating Leipzig four 0 at home. Of course, that's that's not what I'm saying, but it is possible to win games without key players. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I, think that's a, I think those are two really, really good points and really, really get to the heart of why a lot of people, including me, are kind of uncomfortable with this approach from Mourinho because he is, he is playing such an expectations game in which he is telling the world that nothing else, nothing else beyond this is possible. Mm. The, only, the only option that I have is 5-4-1 and defensive. There is no prospect of any real success this season I, no manager has been in such a hard position as this, and like the self-pitying and um, the self-pitying and the negativity. I mean, <laughs> the person it reminds me of most is Livia Soprano, and uh, <laughs> with this whole like this kind of. The other day, I tweeted a picture of you know. There's a kind of meme of her saying, "I wish the Lord would take me now," and I changed the words to, "I wish the, the Lord would end the season now." But that is that is what it reminds me of, and the contrast between on Mourinho on the one hand and Klopp and Pochettino on the other hand is so obvious. It's so obvious what the difference is here. And I want, you know, you do wonder how the Spurs players must feel about this. And I was watching, so I wasn't at the game on Saturday, but I was watching the BT coverage this morning. And afterwards they had Crouch, Rio Ferdinand and Idiga Johnson, who were all incredibly negative about this. Crouch was saying it reminded him of when he was playing for Stoke City. Um, Johnson said it reminded him when he, when he was playing for the Iceland national team. And they all said the players will come off the pitch feeling we weren't really, you know, we weren't really in the game. We didn't really get to express ourselves on the pitch at all. Yeah, I think like the, the way I put it after that game is like, it's possible to be dealt a bad hand, but still to play that hand badly. You know, like if you've yeah. ever played poker, like I've done that <laughs> on a number of occasions, you know, like those two things can be true. And I think that's what some fans felt like. There's no denying Spurs are in a really hard position. It's just finding out the best way of dealing with it. I mean, he Mourinho spoke about, um, talk, he was like, we, we played with a strange system, but that's what we've got to do in these circumstances. And so maybe it will be a case of, a bit of trial and error, muddling through some different uh, ways of playing until you stumble across a winning formula. If you're being optimistic, you'd hope that would happen and you'd have some sympathy with a manager having to feel his way through this because, you know, of all the scenarios he imagined when he came in November, I don't imagine he thought Kane and Song yeah. being out for three months would be I, one of them. I mean, I do actually think, for what it's worth, if, if they had tried to play much more expansively than that in that game, given the energy that's in that Chelsea team, particularly in midfield, that, that we talked about a little bit before... I think they probably would have got. I think they probably would have got slapped about quite badly. Yeah. Um, I, I just. I, I. You know. I feel like they could have probably lost that game 
quite heavily had they kind of come out to play in that sort of sense maybe for me this just feels like an example of something we've spoken about before which is how Mourinho's like pragmatism as he sees it is itself ideological like he doesn't have to play this way but he chooses in in a lot of games this year he's chosen to play the most like inverted commas pragmatic way possible as deep as possible less possession than he needs to even though in fact like they've got some good players like it's not like they're you know Tony Pulis is Stoke City or Sean Dyche is Burnley they've got Lascelles is a 50 million pound player and Dombley's a 50 million pound player Bergwijn should really have been a 50 million pound player mm. but, but they got him on the cheap Lucas is you know whatever you think of him he's kind of experienced the top level of world football and yet Mourinho for Mourinho he's so obsessed with this kind of I'm going to prove I can do it my way low block counter-attack uh, you know, let them have the ball. We'll hit them on the break. Even in this game, he said afterwards, oh, we had no tactical problems. We were completely controlled of the space and we were punished by a couple of individual mistakes. Like he's so wedded to his approach that I think it it does represent a form of ideology. He's just, even though he likes to say that the managers who come out and play are the ones who are more, you know, who, he calls them like Einsteins or poets or whatever mm. and looks down on them. Philosophers. Yeah. I mean, I think um, there's a really important distinction to draw Mourinho though with big, the, games against big sides and against the rest. I think against the big sides, he does generally revert to this defensive way of playing. I don't think he, he does that all the time. Um, the weird thing is like pragmatism means doing anything you can to win a game. And I think often he doesn't really do that because like Sir Alex Ferguson in many ways was pragmatic. Like he could set up Very. a team up to, yeah, but he could set up a team to defend if he thought that's what was needed. He could also set a team up to absolutely overwhelm you and bully you if he thought that was the best way to win. That to me is more pragmatism. And Mourinho can be like that against the smaller teams, but he does have this habit against bigger sides, United away this season maybe an exception, where he 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 is more defensive. And it felt like he was um, falling back into that trap a little bit on the weekend. But one of the criticisms of Pochettino and one of the one of the hopes for Mourinho was that Spurs' record would improve in these big games against the rest of the top six. Now, m- because of the fixture calendar, he's had a few of these now, and obviously they did beat City, uh, which was, you know, the best result really of the Mourinho era. But what, they lost to Liverpool. They've lost to Chelsea twice. Do you do you sense that they're getting any any better in this aspect, or is it? It was the City game just a result of a, a combination of unlikely factors. I don't know if you can dismiss the City result and then kind of put a load of bearing on the results that went the other way. If you see what I mean, I, I think it would kind of be unfair to dismiss one and kind of put all that weight on the others. I mean, clearly, I mean, the Chelsea home performance was really, really bad. I mean, not even just that that they played in this kind of negative fashion, but that they were just really bad on the ball. They didn't seem to have any ideas when they did get it. And that was one of the worst performances we've seen this season, probably. Certainly in the first half. Liverpool, again, we talked about at the time. I mean, you know, it, 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 you could kind of see the logic of it, even though it didn't, it didn't work in the end. Um yeah, I didn't I think was, Liverpool was that bad. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, more broadly, the, the numbers in his last 10 league matches against big six teams, so that won't just be at, at Spurs, obviously. Uh, he's won one of those 10, drawn two and lost seven, which, you know, that's not great. And as we said, you know, Liverpool, obviously he's lost to Liverpool and City in that time, which is one thing, but you're also taking games against Arsenal, Chelsea, United. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously... Those games are harder, so most managers don't have a brilliant yeah. record in those games. But I, I, you know, you'd, you'd want more than one win in ten, wouldn't you? I mean, the thing I'll say again, I mean, uh, to, to compare to previous Tottenham teams is perhaps a little bit unfair because clearly there's been some degree of 
diminishment, particularly in the defence. We talked before about Vertonghen just just basically looking half the player that he was kind of two or three years ago, and all the viral as well now. I mean, we were talking about it just before Jack, but to get to get done for pace yeah. by Olivia, like a 34-year-old Olivia Giroud. The slowest stroke. I mean, when did that last? When did anyone look. last get done? Yeah. It, oh, and not even, like, not even like in the 85th minute when Giroud's come off the bench, yeah, but in like yeah. the 10th minute of the game. I mean, that is When that the is goal bad. went in, I was like, it's, it will be disallowed because there's no way Giroud yeah. could legally be onside, <laughs> getting the wrong side. It's genuinely, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. he must have had a head start there. Yeah. There are some really, really big question marks, I think, over... Old Wild and Vatonga. Yeah, Vatonga like couple pace. Mason Mount were. That, I mean, that you Mason about Mount the one where he spins it. Yeah, it was. Like, I mean, oh. that was. It wasn't even that quick, was it? It wasn't like he kind of flipped it and then span really quickly and just went past him. I mean, you know, he's quite a nippy, nimble player, Mount, but he's not like Janino or something. It yeah, was, yeah, and that happened in the first get the game at Spurs as well, just yeah, before yeah, December, yeah. where Vatonga was playing a left the halfway back. line. Yeah, 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 yeah and yeah. and I, th- I mean, Vatonga. That was really one of the last times he's played as a left back because yeah. he was beaten so badly that day. Yeah, I really don't think we should. We should. All, we always have to caveat any criticisms we make of Mourinho with the with the fact that the squad isn't very isn't great. Like it's mm. patchy. It's a weird mix of like you know young players and slightly slightly past it players. I think in most positions, uh, and it just isn't as good as Spurs squads of the past. And that is, insofar as I have any sympathy with Mourinho, it's the fact that arriving mid-season with an unbalanced and slightly tired and stale squad is very, very difficult and only becomes harder when he loses those players. And you could say just bigger picture. It's not as though Spurs down the years have had a great record at Stamford Bridge. No, it's indeed One not. league win in 30 years or close to 30 years. Pochettino won there once. So again, in isolation, it's losing by, the odd, by one goal with a massively depleted squad is not an absolute disaster. Is there a bit of sense of um, deja vu in the sense that we went into the, the game in December at White Hart Lane being we were all pretty optimistic about mm. Spurs' prospects that game we were all saying our oh, Spurs are going to win they're going to go fourth and then from there the second half of the season will be a breeze and then of course that didn't happen and then last week going into this game I thought Spurs would win this game uh, on the basis of their recent Premier League form which had been good and then again they got outplayed by Chelsea and again they lost and now it's kind of it's like one step it's not quite one step forward one step back but it's like one and a half step forward one step back Thanks to our good pals at Beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash The Athletic and pay the postage of £4.95. And as if that wasn't enough, as a listener to The View From The Lane, you will get two extra free beers. Beer52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They are now the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand, and many more. As an independent UK company, Beer52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave at any time. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment and a beery snack is thrown in too. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash The Athletic to get your case free and don't forget right now, listeners get two extra free beers. 
two other things in the game that I want to mention quickly. The yeah, first in violence news. In violence news, um, the Lacelso VAR non-red card. Do you really want to get me started on VAR? Do we think that should be a red card? Yeah, it was a red card. Yeah. I'm not convinced that he necessarily meant to do that, but it's such a like a dangerous. It is reckless. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's yeah. probably not really even broadly a challenge, but it's such a reckless, then dangerous thing yeah. that. So Glenn Hoddle was saying on TV that he thought that Lacelso. The reason he went with the stamp is because the ball was like he was basically trying to drag the ball back away from Aspilicueta. I think if you look I at it, kind of see what he means. It, that, it, that is kind of what he was trying to do, but there's definitely a sort of little half look, and Aspilicueta kind of comes basically from behind him. But he does kind of turn, like turn his head to look a little bit, and you, I can't really see why. But even if you, like, even if what, what, in that situation, if a man is coming from behind you, and you're feeling a little bit mischievous, and you know you're doing yeah. whatever it takes to win the game, surely you just like let him clatter you and go down and roll around on the floor, try and get him booked and get the free kick, right? I, I also think if you had, if I were, if it were me, and I'm playing and I put my foot down and I'm go, and I'm genuinely going for the ball, and then someone's leg appears and I stamp on them really painfully unintentionally, I would my instant reaction would would be to go to ref like I absolutely didn't mean to do that like I'd, I'd, I'd feel like horrified at the fact that it happened whereas that's not I don't think that's the Celso's reaction that that reaction is not to me of someone who's like done something entirely accidentally well that's because you're a nice middle class boy and you're not a Maybe. kind of Argentine hard man yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's why I never made it you haven't grown true. up scurrying around playing for Rosario yeah. yeah is that where he's from yeah, yeah Rosario yeah, Central Rosario. um and in other violence news, there's been a, there's a hilarious <laughs> clip going. And honestly, if you haven't seen this, I you've got to see it. violence with inverted commas. Uh, yeah. Um, there's a hilarious clip going around of, we think it's Chelsea and Tottenham fans. I want to say fighting, but there's no actual <laughs> fighting involved. Kind of squaring posturing. up to each other. Po- yeah, posturing. Um, I think it's outside the Finborough Theatre, which is about five minutes walk from <laughs> San Bridge. It's a really, really nice theatre and it has some fantastic plays on upstairs in the room above the pub. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and Speaking of middle class. Mate, was this during the interval that they came out and had this? No, so it, the, the thing is, it's actually quite a good place to go for a pint before or after a Chelsea game because it's like sufficiently far away. You don't get that many football fans there. But because it's like on Finborough Road, which is like the way if you're going, I think, back up to Earl's Court Tube. Um, sometimes people do go past that way if you're kind of cut if you're trying to cut away from the fans. You don't want to go to full and Broadway Tube for a play in a scrap. It's yeah, a good, good venue. Um, and you can see like people throwing, like the height of the violence, such as it is, is people throwing like uh, pub stools or bits of pub stool. But obviously, there's no physical contact. <laughs> There's one share throw that's really, really good. It's such <laughs> it's a, a weak, weak throw. It's like he's throwing it like, with his weak yeah. arm. It's like <laughs> something like out that. of extenders, isn't it? There's no actual violence. Yeah. It's on TV it's at like w- half past seven. Yeah. So it's all sort of posturing <laughs> and watershed. Oh, you... Yeah. You know, whatever. I can't really even say Yeah, that. I, I don't really have like a point to make about this. It's just quite a funny just thing really to see on the internet. Watching. And it's definitely worth watching. Did you did you sense any... Was there any like aggro at the game? I mean, there's a the, the chanting is... Uh, I don't know. I think a lot of it is... Go, you know that the where's that line of what's sort of quite funny and just like fans goading each other in an entertaining way and when it becomes a bit much and I thought the booing of Rudiger was yeah that's was pretty anyone who's anyone who's booed Rudiger on the basis of what happened in the first game regardless of whether or not he misheard or whatever else is an idiot that would be as simple as that yeah that's a really good point we should that was shameful okay so let's quickly take a look back at the RB Leipzig game on Wednesday night. Spurs didn't look quite as negative as they were against Chelsea. Um, do you feel like there's still a chance of them going through? Yeah, um, there is. They, they they grew into that game. They weren't 
the the first um, maybe twenty minutes or so, they appeared a bit overwhelmed, and Leipzig had a bunch of chances, but they grew into it, and you know I think they could have they could have got a draw from that game. So there's it's definitely not over, just one goal behind. It felt to me a lot like. Uh, the first leg of the Ajax game last season. Mm. You know, in the first kind of twenty minutes of that game, Ajax were way on top, and Spurs just couldn't get out of their like own third. Um, Van der Beek scored the goal quite early in that game, I think, when obviously yeah. Leipzig didn't score early in this game. Um, but in both games, Spurs kind of grew into it, and I think, and I think, as Charlie says, in the last kind of twenty-five minutes, half an hour on on Wednesday night, actually, they kind of looked quite good. Um, once Lamella and and Dombele had come on. It kind of felt like there was a bit more fluency to the way they were playing and a little bit more belief. I mean, more or less from the, from the moment they went behind, really. Mm. I do also think there's a strange psychology in this, and Ajax showed this, of like, when you when you have a lead from the first game, it's sort of like what you what you do with it, how attacking yeah. you are. like. Quite, uh, and so I think it could be that they could be nervous a little bit yeah. in front of their own set in front well, of their own That's quite interesting because quite, quite a big thing last season that I felt for that Ajax game was that Ajax had been... At home in the first two games in the last six, in the last sixteen mm. and the quarterfinal against Madrid and Juve, and hadn't really done that well. And then it had to go away yeah. to Turin and Madrid in the second legs, where they won the ties both times. So it got flipped in the in the semi final, and suddenly we had to go away first, and they won one nil. Then they're at home in the second leg where they hadn't done as well, and obviously you can concede away goals, and they just looked far less. You know, obviously went two up, and Spurs kind of had to really dig in to get that. Um, but it looks like less comfortable and less sort of kind of sure of themselves, even though they're three 0 up. On, yeah, on the well, the thing is, like, because when you're at home, that uh, that away goal is such a fear. Yeah, you know, in in the second leg, because no matter who you're playing, that does give them a lifeline, and so and and the fans can get edgy. And if you're not as experienced a team, obviously Ajax weren't experienced yeah. in being in Champions League semi-finals. Leipzig aren't experienced in playing Champions League knockout games. So it will be interesting, you know, if if Spurs can make that feel competitive. Uh, in the first half I think they've definitely got yeah. a chance I mean it's entirely logical to kind of be a bit more pragmatic and defensive at home when you can concede away goals and be far more expansive and open in the second le- in the away leg when you can score them I mean that makes perfect sense whether or not that will actually prove to be the way Spurs play given who's missing and who the manager is we'll have to wait and see but that would kind of you know make sense to me and if you look at the games last season as well you know 1-0 defeat to Ajax 1-0 win over Manchester City that generally seems to kind of be the way of it in the knockout stages last season. I mean, even against Dortmund, they got battered in the first half of that first leg mm. at Wembley um, and then kind of scored three goals on the break and then from a set piece, I think, in the yeah. second half of that game. And they got battered in the first half hour away at Dortmund yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. They were all, Dortmund were all over them. Um, I, I kind of think that the balance, I, th- I actually feel not optimistic, but... I don't feel like that pessimistic about Spurs' prospects of going through, just because I think that the setup of the tie kind of suits them. Like they will play quite a, I think they will probably play quite a limited game, focusing on set pieces and counter attacks. They have got some good counter attacking players. They they will you know they'll be happy to dig in, wait for their chances on the break. They know that Leipzig will come out all guns blazing. There'll be spacing behind. If they can just again, if they can get through the first half hour. 
I think that they'd be kind of happy to go in at halftime at nil-nil. But do you think Leipzig will come out? I was going to say, yeah, I, I think they have I'm not sure they necessarily will. I think will. they will. I think they have to just because I of how... I think they might just kind of keep their shape and be disciplined that, and try and keep the ball. And if they do that, then I think they'll be fine. But that, but that, yeah, that's what's hard though, is that your fan, you're at home, so your natural instinct is to come out and attack and your fans demand that. So it can get in your heads a little bit. It's like, what exactly are we doing here? Are we are we playing to hold on to what we have? Yeah. Are we trying to kill the tie and get yeah, and yeah. build our leads? Like That can frazzle more experienced teams let alone someone like Leipzig who've have they played a Champions League no this is the first ever Champions League knockout tie I think and and, has, and sorry um, Nagelsmann not Hassan Huttel Nagelsmann is such an aggressive uh, is such an aggressive manager who's so attached to his style of play that I kind of feel like they will come out and attack I think it would be very I'm not sure they've really got the got the ingredients to play a more like conservative possession like a, slow, a slower game so I, 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 interesting. I kind of feel like there will be opportunities for, for Tottenham to go through. There's another question. I mean, this might be completely ridiculous, but do you think, given how Spurs, Mourinho was saying the other day they've got, they're having Spurs are having problems with fatigue. Obviously, they are down to the bare bone squad-wise. Do you think, like, how much is, in, in the, is it in their interests to win this game? Do they need another two games? Because they've had a lot of games recently. Right, yeah. I mean, the one, the one thing I'd say about it is it might be like the kind of last roll of a dice in the Champions League for Spurs f- for the foreseeable future. I mean, you just don't know what's going to happen. Maybe. So, you know, if, if they need like a big squad rebuild, which they certainly do defensively, then it might be a couple of years before they're in the competition again. And if they do get in, then obviously they might not necessarily make it through to the knockout stages or, or the quarterfinals or whatever. I kind of see what you're saying, but I don't I don't think the mentality should be that they should bin this off no, and, no, and of kind of, not. you know, walk away from it and not be too concerned. I think they should be kind of trying to give it their rule um there's also that thing isn't there where it's quite depressing to want to be eliminated a competi- from a competition to help your chances yeah, of exactly, qualifying yeah. for that yeah, competition yeah, again yeah, it's yeah, like really. they're in it now they're in the last 16 they've got a winnable last 16 see see how far it takes them i appreciate that that's coming from more of a sort of fan perspective if, if you're running the club then the priority is i guess just being in that competition yeah. year in year out but you know why not give it as best to go they can and if Again, from a fan point of view, if you end up then finishing seventh, at least you've given it everything and got to the quarters minimum. I mean, getting to the quarters would be yeah. would be great. They, you know, they could get Atalanta in the quarters, and then, yeah. the, then, yeah. then they could be thrown into the semis. Um, what, I, what I would say is that that mentality of, of it being important just to be in the competition every season is kind of what's got them into this position in the first place. This athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic, fill in a style quiz and tell us about your personal style, budget, size and shape and your clothing needs and wants. A personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing each handpicked especially for you from our selection of 100 brands, including established names and up-and-coming designers. Try on everything at home and style with other items in your wardrobe. You can then pay for what you love and send back the rest. For your stylist's time, you pay a charge of just £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. Remember, you try before you buy... Delivery and returns are free both ways, and you don't need a subscription to sign up. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now. 
That's stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic. So we've got some questions on other topics from readers. Thanks to everyone who sent them in. We're not going to read out questions about Jose Mourinho because we've talked about him a lot already. Uh, one from Mark Lynch. Aurier was an absolute disaster on Wednesday in terms of defending, positioning and tracking back, leaving teammates in the lurch. Surely he doesn't have a long-term future. Well, <laughs> James, you go first, then I'll, I'll, uh, I'll make the case for the defence. I mean, Aurier is good at the things that Aurier is good at, right? Which is, you know, kind of covering and, and getting up and down the pitch. And his delivery is reasonably good. It's not amazing, but it's good. For me, he, he has way too many errors in him. Um, and the, the thing that Mark Lynch has said that um, I agree with, and that's that he his positional play on Wednesday night was was pretty bad. He, he got stuck up the pitch quite a few times, and he did that on the previous weekend against Villa as well. He's left so much space in behind, and without Sissoko in a team, there's no one really covering that. Yeah, area. Shedson had to do a bit of that. Yeah, exactly. He? He just didn't really look comfortable. That that partnership did not look good on the right hand side. I didn't think in that game. No, um, I mean, I I. I think naturally I, I have defended Aurier a lot because he comes under so much attack and I wrote a piece a month or so ago because his numbers are actually pretty good. Um, so I, I don't think he's as bad as some people say. I think there's, there is a degree of confirmation bias with him as well because he has previously made mistakes. So when he does again, they are magnified and you kind of, if he has a solid game, it doesn't really get remarked upon. Um Wednesday wasn't his best game, granted, and he has he has made some high-profile errors, but I don't think he's that bad, and I think Tottenham have bigger problems than Cesar. Yeah. I mean, he didn't, he he didn't make any like comic, comic er, comical errors against Leipzig. Just he kind of looked a little bit positionally uncertain. The thing with that, it is hard to know how much that positional stuff is him getting caught out and how much yeah, he's instructed true. to do that yeah. stuff. Because when you are, especially when you're playing as Spurs are with a depleted forward line, having fullbacks or wingbacks who can offer something going forward is really important. Yeah. And I did, it was interesting on, uh, on Saturday, Davis and Tanganga put in zero crosses between them. Aurier put in three in the 12 minutes he was on. I mean, he, he, he is able to get forward yeah. and, and give you something going forward. Is he still our player of the season? <laughs> <laughs> He's right up there. I think Who is the player of the Lo season Celso. now? Lo Celso. I, think, I, mean, I feel like it is Lo Celso, yeah. even though he but he's barely, played. I mean, he's played barely, such a small amount. Even though he played like what two games under Pochettino. Yeah, I feel like we started those last. It's two. kind of impossible to remember what the Pochettino era now. Well, was Kane. So, I mean, I was looking at his numbers the other day. I know that sounds ridiculous, but he's actually only been out. He, he's been out for a shorter period than Lo Celso didn't yeah. play. And he was so Kane probably. He was averaging a goal yeah. a game. Yeah, 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 yeah. his goal scoring record was still really good. A question from Guy Fletcher. Is there any chance at all of Spurs signing a free agent striker? <laughs> right. So we were talking, before we came on air, we were talking about this and the strikers who are currently on the market. Um, honestly, I don't know if Spurs will sign them. I would be surprised, but it's quite a funny list of like players who played in the Premier League 10 years ago. Do you want some names? Please. Diafra Sacco. Good he, he was the one who was being uh, most talked about on Twitter as a, as a potential. I mean, he's only 30. I mean, I have no idea what he's been up to in the last. He's just been released years. by Ran. I mean, that's probably not the best indication of. He was he was good for he was West Ham. He was for that first yeah. season for the Billet under Billet. He was really yeah. good. Another former West Ham player, Madibo Maiga. He wasn't so good for West Ham. Wasn't he good for kind of the first like half a dozen games? I, think, uh, I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, Victor Inichibi. He's, he, oh god, Social I can kind media of see that. Could be an issue. Yeah, I true, can kind yeah. of I can see Mourinho going for the sort of big lad you hit the long balls to. 
Uh, what about Nile Ranger? Mm, can't say it. That would that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Like that I mean, football's bad boy. Oberfemi Martins. Ooh, has he still got pace ninety nine? Pace thirty five, so probably not. It's a shame. Uh, and uh, Nile Ranger. Did I say Nile Ranger? He's Nile Ranger. Giuseppe Rossi. Sorry, was he everyone? Sorry. Another one, Nicholas Bentner. Nicholas Bentner as oh, well. Wow. Yeah, he is available. Is he at FC Copenhagen? He was, yeah, he but he's was, a free yeah. agent. Um, and there was also this comical moment in the press conference on Tuesday before the Leipzig game when he was, Mourinho was being asked about this and he said Peter Crouch but it wasn't clear if he was talking about Peter Crouch as an option or whether he was describing a German journalist as looking like Peter Crouch uh, okay. that was what a lot of people thought I mean but, in theory um, I guess he option. could like pluck a retired striker well Crouchy out. yeah, yeah but, so I follow Berbatov on Instagram and he's just in the gym all the time so he probably isn't going to move around any less than he did in like 2007 so he might when he was smoking well, exactly yeah, he might as well get him in I'm kind of fascinated by the prospects of Tottenham signing a former West Ham striker on loan like Ilan Diego Tristan Emmanuel yeah. Emenike Fred- Frederick Piquion oh, any advances on Emenike Di was that one of them yeah, yeah. David Di Michele Alessandro Diamanti god they've had a lot haven't they, they? Had a lot, yeah. Marco Borriello Danny who makes you grateful for what we've had yeah yeah uh, Roberto could, Solado probably genuinely better goals per game than all of those uh, yeah. maybe yeah because he had a lot of pens yeah, yeah. they all count uh, one more question um, from Riley if we do end up playing Europa League football could you see big name departures i.e. Kane Son Ali no not not after one season I don't think I don't think anyone has played well enough to kind of this season to kind of justify or regularly enough to kind of justify kicking up a stink at this stage well, also they're all on long contracts, so leaving something would be—I mean, leaving something is always extremely hard. But for those guys, that would be very. very I think difficult. if you if you got to the if you got if it happened two seasons in a row, then I think you, you have that question. But I don't think like first time around. I don't yeah, think this is a question we get a lot, and I I would be absolutely shocked if any of those if any of those good players left Tottenham this summer. We know, like Charlie said, we know what Levy's like with this sort of thing. We know that players only leave Spurs if they. If they're desperate to leave, they haven't got that much time in their contract. They're be- Spurs are being offered massive money for it. Like leave- leaving Spurs is really, really hard. Look at Ericsson. Ericsson was yeah. desperate to leave last summer. It took him an extra six months. Walker only left. After- no one leaves at the first attempt, do they? Yeah. Walk- an Danny ag- Rose. And yeah. A well, a w- an agent who knows a lot about this once said to me that leaving Spurs is a process. Like it takes a long time to, you know, wind- run your contract down a bit lineups interest from other clubs it's not easy it takes you know Ericsson took a long time Rose was like kind of had one foot out of the club for years before he eventually left Walker had that big you know basically had that big row with Pochettino in 2017 and lost his place to Trippier and then eventually went to Manchester City Bale went for a world record fee Modric nearly went to Chelsea before he went to Real Mm. Madrid the following year like it's hard and so like the, the idea that like Kane, Son or Ali could get frustrated and then click their fingers and then end up at Man City or, or wherever is just We're nonsense. not going to Man City. No, mate. I know. Sorry, City's a bad example. But you, know what, you know what I mean? Like it's not, simply being frustrated at Spurs' position is not a sufficient condition for leaving the club. And so, and also like, like you can't get in the most, you know, the most successful manager of all time on a massive contract and then tell him, oh yeah, sorry, all the experience, our few remaining good experienced players, they're all gone. Like it just, it it wouldn't happen. So Spurs fans, I wouldn't worry about that. So let's very quickly look ahead to the Wolves game this Sunday, which is now another massive game for Tottenham. Um, At Molyneux in December, Spurs 
it was kind of like it, that was a Mourinho masterclass, I suppose. Like Spurs were outplayed for most of the game, uh, and then won it from a brilliant little individual goal from Lucas Moore in the first half, and then Jan Vertonghen header right at the very end from a corner after Vertonghen had been absolutely destroyed by Dama Traore all afternoon. Do we think Spurs can can do a repeat of that on Sunday? What I think the biggest factor in this may be how strong a team Wolves play away to Espanyol on Thursday night. So then winning the first leg of that 4-0 is probably pretty bad for Spurs because you would imagine if there are any doubts on the fitness of any of those players, they're going to get left out. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because Mourinho has spoken so much about the frustration at not having full weeks. He now has one. Yeah. And as James says, uh, Wolves, by contrast, are playing away at Espanyol. So Wolves are at that physical disadvantage, that, you know, depending on how many players they take there. Though I imagine you still probably want to take a decent squad, don't you? Because it sends yeah. a bit of a message to your opponents if, you, if you're like, yeah, we think this is done. And presumably so, they want to play as well, you would have Yeah, thought. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Why wouldn't you? Um, I mean, I, I think it could be another of those games where uh, Wolves don't quite take their chances and, and Spurs nick it. But it's going to be really close. Wolves, Wolves are a very, very good side. Like they fully deserve to be in this top four, top five race. Um, and, and I was thinking as well, it was this equivalent fixture last season, just, just after Christmas, when Tottenham were theoretically back in the title race and then they lost and were sort of out of it before they were even back in it. I think it was 3-1. Um, so and, and Wolves have done that to a lot of good teams away. So they, yeah. they, they know what they're doing. Their record against top sides is really good. So I don't think their, their league form... This calendar year has been. Pr- I think the winning against Norwich on Sunday was only the second time they've won in the league this calendar year. So they kind of that, that's kind of been a little bit spotty with their form. Yeah, but that's and, good enough form in this yeah, race, yeah, isn't yeah, it, yeah, to yeah. keep you sixth or seventh? Um, I mean, they're a really, really good side. I, I think the the one thing that could work in Spurs' favour is whether or not they have one eye on that Europa League. Because if they get through, I think they'll play again like immediately afterwards, won't they? No, because it's the mid. Is it's that, the FK, FK, FK Cup midweek. Okay. Yeah, because surely Europa League is Wolves' priority now, right? Because it's such a you know you would have amazing so. opportunity. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know they should definitely be in the mix to win that. I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone would, would, would question no. that, would they? Yeah, for sure. So we will be back next week, looking back at the Wolves game and looking forward to the FA Cup fifth round, not the quarterfinal, uh, against Norwich City at home. Thanks very much for joining us. Mm-hmm.